Hi, everyone. Welcome back to You Can Sit With Us. I'm Haley and co-host Anisha. And we have a special guest with us today. And her name is Paige. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I am Paige Saffold. Uh, a lot of people know me as Positively Paige on social media. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I just love you so much, Paige. Like, you don't even understand. That means so much to me. You don't even know. <laughs> like, okay, you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I can't. So I'm a mom of three, and uh, my two older boys are my bonus babies, and then uh, I have one biological son. He's two. My oldest son uh, is autistic, and then our middle son is just what we like to call like our little uh, Troy Bolton, because he does musical theater as well as basketball, so he's my own little high school musical, <laughs> so that's great. And then my husband, Mark, and I met uh, both in the dental field, and he is a dentist, so we've been together for a little over four years now almost married for two and yeah I just uh started uploading onto TikTok uh, as a creator I guess in quarantine honestly I downloaded it just so that I could stalk my teenage son to make sure that he wasn't being like inappropriate on this kid's app quote unquote and then I was like wait a second I think I like this and I just started using it as my own diary and people just started following along and it's kind of been crazy but it's also been really fun too because like look where we are i'm so excited it's just so amazing to see someone's growth like, oh. just through everything that like, means a lot to me because out there and i like i w watch them but i don't get the same feeling like when i watch you and see your growth i feel like wow this girl like she deserves it like you know you oh. get the people like that they really deserve it and they're making a difference that means a lot to me. <laughs> that means so much to me. That's really what I'm trying to do is just like kind of take that stigma away from like influencer. And a lot of people ask me like, oh, so you're an influencer. I feel like I'm more of a content creator. I don't feel like my sole purpose is just to influence people to buy things. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love stuff and I buy a lot of stuff. And so I will tell you the stuff I like. But that's not, like, my sole purpose on the app. I really, that's not what I want to do. So that means so much that people are picking up what I'm putting down. So. I definitely, <laughs> yeah. it definitely feels authentic and not, like, yeah. it's definitely genuine. Yeah. <sighs> that, that feels good to me. That feels very good to know because you never know how people are, you know, perceiving what you put out there. And it's always kind of scary to, like, when things could take a negative swing and people could be like, oh, she's fake. I mean, I've had that comment before. So it definitely, it stings when they come for your character, especially when you are just trying to show like yeah. your, who you are. So that's so true. That's so true. And I just told my husband last night because he was worried about somebody thinking something of him. And I was just like, it's not your responsibility to take on the burden of how other people view you. No. Like, their problem yeah. yeah their opinion is none of your business yeah all right let's jump into the first question it's a heavy one but what are your mental health struggles and what you're comfortable with sharing yeah um okay so i struggle with a buffet of <laughs> mental health issues uh, ever since I was really little i have had um body image is issues just like body dysmorphia 
Um, I can still like recall the very moment that it happened that I thought, oh, like, and food became an enemy rather than, you know, something that you enjoy. Um, and I'm still trying like desperately to get that back, which is why I love so much sharing like the cooking stuff with you guys. Cause it, people don't realize like that's actually helping me more than it is anything else. Cause it's like, I'm actually eating things and not thinking about like, how many calories is in this? What is this going to do to my butt? You know, cause that's, it was very, it was taught very early on. I was, I want to say I was in fourth grade and I was standing, it was after school. You know how you are after school, you're famished. Like it's like you haven't eaten all day long. And so I'd come home and of, first of all, I was eating a pickle, which by the way, I don't think they even have calories. So it was not even fair. Um, I was eating a pickle, like those kosher slices, not even a big one. We're not even talking a good one. And, um, I'd gone for a second one and a family member of mine said, are you sure that you want to do that? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, of course I'm, you know, I have no idea what they're even talking about at that point. I'm like, well, yeah, I want this pickle, like, of course. And they made a remark about, well, you know what your genes are like. And I was not around a lot of women in my family because my mom, my biological mom was not around whenever I was younger. Um, so the only two women that I had as a reference as to what my family would say, like, this is your body style, like, this is what you are going to look like, were my aunt and my grandmother, and they were both considered obese by society's um, frame. And so they were basically saying, like, if you start this now, like, you're, you're going to be obese. And I immediately weaponized food. It was like, I was constantly worried about what I put in my mouth, what it would do to my body, how I was going to look. And then I would skip meals and think that that was going to help. And it doesn't, of course, because then your body thinks, well, I'm not going to be fed. So I'm going to hang on to this because who knows whenever I'm going to get this nourishment. So then it just made my body image issues even worse. And I had boys in high school that would say horrible things, horrible things. Like I'll never forget it. I could say your name right now, but I'm not going to, cause I'm not that girl, but you know who you are. You know who you are. Uh, I had a guy in my high school tell me that my stomach stuck out more than my booty did. And it traumatized me, traumatized me. I was like, okay, um, I'm done. I, and from that moment on, I was like, I, I'm never going to be beautiful by what these people think is normal. And that was like kind of how I spent my teenage years. So I really struggled with an eating disorder for a very long time. And I feel like I'm finally getting to a point where I feel I have it under control. There are still moments where I'll be like, oh, I don't want to eat that. And I'll want to, but it's like, I'm telling myself that something bad will happen to me if I do. And that I'm, I'm genuinely trying to get out of that stage of life. So that's, uh, that's one side of it. Um, I have always struggled with anxiety. I didn't know it as a child that that's what anxiety was. Um, and my parents, I didn't, I was never diagnosed with anxiety, but like if a teacher said, Hey, you know, let's chat uh, in an hour or so. Like I would actually have a physical panic attack about what they were going to tell me in this hour. It could be nothing. It could be, you know, something exciting. Like, Oh, you got this role in the play. But I was like, I have to know right now because it was like that huge fear of the unknown whenever I was younger. Then whenever I became a mom, it completely flipped to the fear of the known. And it became like all of the terrible things that you knew 
could happen in the world, I began to really feel like that fear was like, what could happen to my children? Like what, like those things could happen to my babies. And that became so hard for me that I just, it was crippling, especially whenever I first had Boston, I couldn't walk down our staircase holding him without like leaning up against the wall and holding the railing at the same time, because I was so scared I would trip and fall and crush him. And I was just like, I'm, I'm going to hurt this baby. I was so scared about it that it was intrusive. Like the thoughts like won't get out of your head. And I have a photographic memory. So I will take things that have happened and like news things that I see and I will make it my own family and then just like torture myself with this movie in my brain. So it's <laughs> it horrible. It's horrible, but uh, it's, it, I'm getting a lot better. I'm in therapy and I have a lot of different grounding tools now that I use to just kind of help me, um, come back to earth, understand, like, it's okay. These things could happen, but they're not happening. Yes, it would be terrible and tragic, but I can't like kill myself with the what ifs because there's, there's endless possibilities that uh, that could happen to anybody that I love. So it's definitely hard, but I am, uh, I'm, I'm battling that one daily, <laughs> daily. That one's probably my most active is just, I have very crippling anxiety, especially when I travel for whatever reason, every time I travel, I come back and my toddler is sick. Whether he's been bit by a mosquito bite and he has a large allergic reaction or he has a fever or, I mean, just like every single time he's sick. So I'm like, I'm never going anywhere. I'm <laughs> I'm staying right here because everything bad just keeps happening. No one can handle this without me here is what that tells me. So I'm, I'm trying to balance like, how do I still be me and let, like, give myself that break without feeling like something horrible is going to happen if I'm not there. So I have that same fear, like getting in the car with the kids. I don't want to leave the house because I, I automatically think like we're going to get into this terrible car accident and the car is going to flip over the median. Like yeah. this crazy story. This is not gonna happen. I have an 18 minute rule. An 18 minute rule in the car. There's no, we don't go further than 18 minutes. I will not drive. Mark has to drive if we go further than 18 minutes because I have that same exact fear. I live in Dallas. So if you go further than 18 minutes, you are on a freeway with like seven lanes and 30 aggressive drivers. And it's not worth it. I can't. I'm going to, I'm going to do that now. I'm going to tell my husband, like, I'm going to move it. To five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I would, but Target is 13 minutes away, so I have to have a happy medium there. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, what was your turning point for your eating disorder? Like, what like what day did you wake up? Do you remember when you were like, okay, this has to stop? Was it in your TikTok journey, or was it a while ago? Um, Actually, yeah, it was very recent, and I don't think a lot of people will, um, will like, even know that it was around this time. But um, I was around a lot of creators and influencers um, that were like very, very like, skinny by name. Like just, that's just who they were. And I was comparing myself so hard to these other women and just thinking like, I'm, I'm not where I wanted to be. And it was really very difficult for me. And I was struggling to even 
put myself near these people because it made me feel so bad to be just so like normal. <laughs> like I'm a normal size woman. I'm five, six. I'm not even like extremely tall. Um, but I was telling myself that because I was not petite, I was wrong for, you know, whatever I wanted to do with life. And that uh, the cameras weren't going to love me because I was not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not model material, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not. So, uh, and that's okay. I have hips and I can't do anything about that. They are where my bones sit. So, um, I woke up one day and I was, I was planning to go to an event and I had in my head told myself that I was going to diet for this entirety of this week. And I'd woken up and I was like, gonna eat pancakes with my kids and uh had a meltdown in my bathroom about uh how bloated I might look in the dress that I was gonna wear if I did that over something as silly as a pancake um and I decided uh that day because my husband found me (laughs) crying in my bathroom and he said what are you even talking about he was like what you're gorgeous he was like you have a great body what are you talking about and I was like if I look bloated at all, I'm going to stand out. And for the wrong reasons, and people on the internet are mean. People are mean. And I don't want to stand out for that reason. And he said, I love you exactly how you are. I think you look beautiful. And if this makes you feel like this, don't go. He was like, you don't have to put yourself into a position to feel like crap because you're comparing yourself to something that isn't even, it's not something you can have. I can't ever make my body that much smaller. I can't shrink myself in height. I can't shrink down my bones. That's, that's not my build. It's not who I am. It's not my makeup of, of what Paige is like. And for so long, I thought that was the only version of beauty that was acceptable. And so whenever I put myself around it so often, um, I mean, as much as I love big events with all the influencers and stuff like that, there's a lot of them that very much still fit that Abercrombie and Fitch style that was so outdated of just being like super perfect and beautiful. And it can make you feel freaking insecure. And so I just decided right then that I was done. I I love going to events and sometimes I still I still will. Um, but I'm never going to put myself into a position where I feel like I'm forced to go somewhere because last time I did that, I got full Kim Kardashian and was like, I'm going to diet down into this dress. And that's so unhealthy. And I just, I could kick myself in the butt for even ever considering it, but that's just life. Sometimes we do that as much as I want to be always body positive about myself and always love the skin that I'm in. Sometimes I put on a dress and I cry because I hate it and I wanted to love it. And that is the heart. That was the hardest part for me was realizing that sometimes <laughs> it's just not worth it. Yeah. I remember, I remember in my high school days and I wasn't even like a bigger, I was just, thicker and I remember walking by in the mall by like the Hollister stores and I remember my mom or my stepmom 
always being like, we're not going in there because we're not even going to try. You're never going to fit into those clothes. They're not made. They're not for you. And I remember my mom telling me one time, she was like, it's not even worth going school shopping for you because nothing, you're not going to get nothing nice. And I like, uh, as an adult, I feel like I would never say that to my child. No. Like, and that goes back to when you were talking about um, when you had a kid, now all these things. Like, when I had my kids, I made sure these people knew you're not going to say those kind of things to my kid because of how damaging it still is for me. Yeah. And um, I totally understand what you're talking about, fitting in with other people. Like, you don't want to be the one standing out because of how you look. Right. And when everyone looks the same and you look different, a lot of the times that's fantastic. And I think that's great. Individuality makes us beautiful. But when you're the only one, you stick out like a sore thumb. It's like they put the ugly duckling next to all the, all the other ducklings. And even though you're not ugly... That's what they frame you as. So it's very hard, but it's not worth it. (laughs) It's not worth it. That's so, it's just, it's such a big can to open up, like, when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Something as simple as enjoying breakfast with your kids on Sunday morning should not put you into a whole mental spiral of what you're going to look like next week. And I'm the opposite. When I get into my feelings and things like that, even though I want to diet, I start binge eating like all throughout the night. Like I will stay up and just eat, eat, eat. And then at the end, I'm just like crying because I'm like, I don't want to eat. Why am I eating? Now I feel bloated and big. And it's just like, this just sucks. (laughs) I absolutely struggle with that as well. I would do where I would like skip meals and try to only eat tiny little snacks. And then at night, my body would be so hungry that I would just be like, forget this and I will just eat meat 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 and snack past the time what you're supposed to and your body's supposed to be in rest which is just like not good for you anyway so then my sleep was horrible I wasn't feeling well I'd wake up feeling sick to my stomach it was just a terrible pattern it's a terrible pattern whenever you have those types of um of mental struggles because it feels like you can't get out of it it's like you're on a roller coaster you can't get off so what are some of the main things that have helped you get there like I know you said that you had like we talked about the day you were like okay I'm done with this so what did you do like did you just well I had to be really open with my therapist about it and which was something that was kind of scary for me because I didn't want her to think that I had um harmful intent towards myself because that was never the intention. It was never to harm myself, but she really kind of pointed out like, well, you are hurting yourself. You just think that it's okay because you can't see the harm that you're doing. And so that was really kind of eye opening for me because she said, when you can physically see yourself harming yourself, you know that you're doing something wrong and you feel a great guilt but you don't feel that same guilt because you can't actually see the things that you're doing to yourself. Um, so that, yeah, that, that was a really, that was a really big one. Um, because I was like, Oh, okay. So telling her was huge. And then that breakthrough of her telling me that was, was really great. And then, I mean, just being really open and honest with my husband as well, because 
I want to be this confident, sexy woman in front of him. I want him to want me and think that I'm beautiful. I don't want him to see me as insecure or breaking down in a bathroom. I want him to know, you know, that's, that's just kind of how we all are. We all want our man to think like we we've got this right. But I broke down and had to be vulnerable with him and had to show him like that I wasn't okay so that he could help me because I had reached the point where I knew that it was wrong, but I was so desperate to fit in that I didn't care. And I needed somebody to wake me up and make me care about what, what it would ha- what would happen in the long run. That's really about it. Basically my Funny therapist and my husband. How do you say that? Because I just watched a TikTok and um, it was on my free page, so I don't know who the girl was, but she said she was going to therapy and her therapist shared with her. She said, I want you to go home and tell the people that love you that you're not okay. Because I feel like we all try to act like we are okay. And when people ask us, are you okay? We'll say, yeah, I'm fine when we're not. Mm -hmm. And then it's like a game that we're playing and we want them to like, push through this boundary that we set to know that we're not okay. And then we get upset and, you know, we're by ourselves dealing with all these things and they, they honestly don't know that we're not okay. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of courage to tell people that, you know, I'm not okay. I need some help. This would help me if you could help me do this or that or talk to me or, you know, things like that. So. Yeah. And that's honestly what I'm trying to do on my platform is just make that more normal for people to just say it, just say it. Cause like, there's such a stigma around yeah. saying it. People just think like, oh, you're, you're so much less. Are you okay? Yeah. Um, you're, you're not. And they like, baby, I don't want you to baby me. I just want you to help me. Yeah. And, and like one of my cases, like somebody would said to me who was close to me, like, you're mentally ill. But they were using it as like an insult, like that yeah. I'm less than because I have some like mental issues. Like, yeah. And I just think that's so wrong. And so ever since then, I felt like, well, I'm less than, and I'm looked at like I'm a crazy you person. You don't want to tell anybody. And, and then you, you shut down. You want to deal with it alone, and you're crying in the shower. Yeah, when they use it as a weapon against you, especially when you are setting a boundary, and they're like, oh, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. You're probably depressed. That is the worst thing to me ever. <laughs> so... I, I completely agree. You have to cut people off that do that. <laughs> oh, well, I'm working on it. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah, that actually to our next question. It was, what do, what do some of your boundaries look like when it comes to mental health and your relationships with other people in your life? I, okay, I wrote some down because this is like the hardest question for me to do on the fly. Let me see here. Because I'll be... I'll be brutally honest I don't really have a whole lot of um like relationship boundaries like if, if you were to ask like me and Mark like we don't share our locations we we have each other's passwords like those aren't the real boundaries that him and I have uh we do have a, a he can't cheat on me ever that's my number one cannot will not ever not uh I was cheated on multiple times in my first marriage and it was absolutely horrible but I just like accepted it as love because I was so desperate to be loved at that stage of my life that I was terrified of being alone that I would rather have been loved in that way than to have 
loved myself more, and, which is crazy to me now. I would never now, but now it's a large boundary for me. It's like, if that were to ever happen, that's a line that I could never uncross. That's something that could never, I would not be able to come back from that because of the trauma that's, that's already there from it. And then like in, in our vehicle, I have boundaries about um, feeling safe in our car. And so like, he's not allowed to flip people off if they cut him off because that makes me feel unsafe because you don't know, you don't know who has a gun and who's going to get angry and pull it out on you at the next stoplight. I don't want to be on the news for something that tragic. That's that those things happen. And that's scary to me. And so I won't let him do those types of things because I have fear in the car. I have a lot of anxiety in the vehicle. And then, um, if I tell my husband that I'm overstimulated or that I'm not having a good day, he's not allowed to push me. Like if we're, say we're in an argument and I am, I mean, this is rare. I'm not going to lie. This would be a very rare occurrence for me, Mark. But if I'm overstimulated and I'm frustrated and trying to get things together and I like snap at him and he snaps back at me and I've already told him that I was overstimulated he knows that that's a boundary that he's crossed because if I voice up to you and I tell you, I'm not hundred percent right now, I'm overstimulated. Like it's usually I'm trying to clean the house before people come over. That's usually what this is, is I'm trying to clean the house as rapid fire as I can. And he's standing outside cleaning the garage for whatever reason. That's the item he decides to clean whenever it comes to helping me quote unquote with the house. So usually it's like, I'm running around and he'd be like, what do you need? And I'd be like, I don't care. Just do something. And He'd be like, no, you don't need to talk to me like that. And I'll look at him and be like, he's like, okay, I get it. You're not meaning to talk to me like that. You're overstimulated and you're frustrated. I understand. And then we'll move about our own way. So I have to voice though, that I'm in that stage for him to understand because I can't just walk around snapping at people all the time and be like, I'm overstimulated. <laughs> I can't, I can't do that. But if I were to say to him, like, I'm running around and very frustrated. I have a lot to do on my list right now. I'm sorry, but I got to go, go, go. Then he knows like, okay. We're going to get this done together. She's not meaning to be sassy to me. She's just trying to get stuff done. Because that's when my attitude comes out. It's when I've got stuff to get done and he's in my way. Yeah, that's so true. That's such great communication. I feel like that too. Like just overstimulated. And I didn't know what it was at first. But I started learning about it. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm overstimulated. Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to teach my husband that too, because how he grew up, it's just like, he doesn't understand those types of things. So I'm trying to teach him like, okay, these are boundaries. Okay. So don't do this or don't call me crazy because that's a trigger for me. Like that really make me crazy. Yes. (laughs) Mark will say, okay, calm down. And every time I turn around and say, how many times have you said that to me? And I actually calmed down. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The probability of that happening is zero, my guy. <laughs> I always tell my fiance not to tell our children that either when they're having a hard time adjusting to something. They're little. They're upset, especially my little one. And he's like, calm down. I'm like, she's never going to calm down by you telling her to calm down. She don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, how would you feel if I, if I came to you and say, calm down and you're upset about something? That's the hardest thing to juggle <laughs> is trying to let kids have their emotions because children's emotions are bigger. Yeah. They're, they're much, much bigger than ours are because we've been taught to shrink our emotions into tiny boxes. So it's so hard to teach your children to feel safe 
those things and then to unlearn all the things that we were taught to. That's, it's a, that's probably the hardest part about parenthood to me is unlearning all the things I thought I knew and trying so hard to not traumatize my kids the way that yeah. the 90s babies are all just traumatized. I stay up at night just thinking like, did I traumatize them today? Like, it's, it's so <laughs> everything, everything. It's terrible. Yes. It's yeah. so bad. I'll think like, if I raise my voice at the older boys, like, is that a core memory for them? Will they always remember this argument? I mean, it's oh my God, they, not the core yeah. It gets deep. <laughs> it does. And like, I, I have to put myself in check. I'll be like, you can't even barely handle your emotions. Why are you trying to make the little one handle his emotions? I'm just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll do better tomorrow. <laughs> We're all doing our best. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Um, okay. Do you feel like there are any myths? surrounding mental health or state? Um, I, I think that it may, that just because you struggle with mental health, you're suddenly considered less in society's eyes. It means that, you know, you have some sort of a, a disability, like you have to check it off. Like if you've ever gone to a doctor and looked at all of the, like the paperwork that they ask you about, they're like, do you have rheumatoid arthritis? Do you have, you know, have you, are you diabetic? They have ask you all these things. And then they ask you like, do you, do you have depression? Do you have anxiety? Do you struggle with your mental health? Like things like that. And they put those all in the same boxes, these like large spectrum diseases, which I understand, like you're just supposed to check everything off in a medical office. I get it. But because like, it's been so generalized like that, society also thinks of it like that. Whereas it needs to be that way in a doctor's office on a piece of paper, that piece of paper has been printed into people's brains as if that's the disabilities that are in our, in our existence. And that's just not true. I don't think that it makes me any less because I struggle with mental health at all. I think it makes me more because I know that I do and I'm doing something about it rather than I'm sitting around pretending like my narcissistic tendencies are just my personality, you know, because <laughs> those are things that people really do believe. If you've ever been around someone who just genuinely believes that mental health issues are a fluke and that it's just people being quote unquote crybabies, they, they genuinely feel like we're just doing it for the party. It's just for a show. It's just to be a part of some community. And that is the most frustrating thing. I have a family member who, who genuinely thinks that that's, that's the way mental health works. And if he would just get a therapist and talk about his own trauma, he would understand. Like, he would be so much happier. But <laughs> they are too stubborn to do that. So... A hard time when it came to getting medication because in my family, like you said, they say, Oh, you're this is how you're gonna be because of this is this this and that, or this is how this person is and this person, these are your genes. So in my family they would tell me, Well, it, I'm not surprised you're taking medication, all the women in your family do. Like so to me that made me like steer away from it, but then going online and seeing just like communities of people making you feel like it's okay to take medicine. Like it's not, it's okay. You're, you know what? You're better with it because a lot of people would say, Oh, let's pray for you. Let's pray about it. And I'm sorry. That was not helping me growing up. That was not helping me. As Pete Davidson said, take the meds. 
I think a lot of people really don't believe that it's something that's really actually happening. Yeah. And that's why they make you feel so horrible about it. Yeah. They, they consider it like you're, like you're crying out for help or like the little boy that cried wolf type of situation. It's almost like you just want attention rather than like, Something neuro neurologically yeah. is oh, not okay. Actually, yeah. something happening. Yeah. I don't understand what's so hard. When I was in high school, um, I have time anxiety, and I it's horrible. It's crippling. Actually, Haley knows. I like bug out, but it's only because if I can't control a situation or if something's told to me that's not what's actually going to happen, and my family. And back in high school, it was terrible. I don't know if it was like the stress of school on top of everything or just trying, I don't know, being young, but it was so bad. And like, I would always break down and one, and at a point in time, it was so bad. I'm like, I have to tell my family, like, it's not a joke. Like, it's not funny. I'm really struggling with this. I sat everybody down. I broke completely down and I'm like, I need help. I need you guys to help me by doing these things or by not doing these things. And when they really realize, like, it's not funny that I'm crying because we're not there on time or something like that, it really helped me. And now as an adult, my fiance knows and my family knows. They make jokes about it, but they don't, they don't, whatever I say, like, they don't, um, they help me. They Even though they, they make jokes about it, but it's not, like, mean anymore. And they really care about me and they try to help me and to do things certain ways and to, be on time or to tell me time ahead so I'm early so I don't feel the anxiety and the pressure and all, everything like that. It's different when you can poke phone, fun at it when you're actually dealing with it. But when they make it like it's not real and they yeah, make jokes how, of it. Yeah. yeah, in the beginning before. And I'm like, who would laugh at someone breaking down? Yeah. They think it's, you know, they think because they don't find it serious or real that it's not and for me it really was and I gotta stop talking about it because that was a really hard time in my life yeah that's that's a really difficult thing whenever like they're supposed to be your safe space and something they're directly doing doesn't make you feel safe and whenever you have that anxiety especially in an anxiety that is crippling it makes you feel suffocated and like you're in an emergency situation. And when our bodies go into that like fight or flight mode and your adrenaline goes up and you get that like noodly arm feeling of just like, gotta go, gotta go. Yes, that is the absolute worst. And to have it be like induced by a family member is really very difficult. And that's why you have to have those really strict boundaries. I have five brothers in the house at the time and it was Oh, it was hard. Yeah. You know, because they think it was so funny. And I'm like, you know. Yeah. Boys are taught from a very, very <laughs> young age that they're not allowed to have emotion or mental struggles, that they're just supposed to be strong men. And that's one thing that I am making sure, like, my boys know, like, it's okay to cry. Crying is a natural human reaction to frustrating things. It does not make you less manly to cry or to break down or to feel sad because that often boys are taught that they're not allowed to feel like that. So they just make jokes in light of look at the little crybaby girls because we're crying. And so they think it makes us, it's a sign of weakness and it's so not, I think that crying and vulnerability is a strength because it genuinely takes safety to be able to open up and say, 
I'm not doing okay or to break down and cry in front of somebody and tell them what's actually wrong, that takes a lot of guts because people are going to judge you 100% of the time. And there's no one's opinion that you will ever agree with <laughs> more than your own. So it's very difficult to do that, especially because what if, and I've had this happen, where you break down and you open up and you tell somebody everything that's wrong or things, you tell them a boundary and you tell them all the trauma that lines up behind that boundary and all the things that have happened and they still cross it. And that to me is like, you have to cut people off that are like that. Like you can't be a part of my life anymore. Right. Because I can't put myself through that pain. Yeah, and if you can't respect me enough to know that that's going to cause me pain after I have opened up and been strong enough to tell you all these things that hurt me in the past, then you don't get to be part of my life. Or they use it against you. That yeah. really you can't yeah. use it as a weapon e either. It's just embarrassing. To me, like, that happened, and it's just, like, it feels embarrassing. You regret opening up, and then you don't open up to anybody anymore because it's like... You've been burned. <laughs> I literally remember the first time that that has ever happened to me, something like that. And I had a full-blown, my first anxiety attack. I mean, I couldn't breathe. I was so upset because you it's like mind-boggling. Like, I tell you why I am the way I am, especially if it relates to a trauma that happened in the past as a child, and you still do it. Like, is this a joke? Yeah. Seriously. And it feels like disrespect. Like, you don't, like, you don't love me. You're angry. You're upset. Like, it's crazy. I think because we've gone through things like that, we can't even possibly fathom crossing a boundary or hurting somebody in that manner because it's like we know what it's like to hurt from those things. So then when people just do it anyways, it's like, oh, my gosh, is there anybody good in the world? Like, Because I'm just opening up to all these assholes, to be frank. And it's just not worth it. <laughs> you gotta go <laughs> yeah you're out of here you're out like not even yeah. we're not even getting the three strikes anymore especially if i open up and tell you everything you're out yeah you're done yeah you're done you're done oh my gosh it's terrible yeah but i feel like, like, the, like the people that and if you have somebody like for example, if you have somebody that did the traumatizing to you and they've moved on from it, but you're still trying to heal yourself years later and they just act like nothing. And like, it's like, I don't know if it was a TikTok I seen or something, but the lady was like, um, I don't know. She was talking about her past and it was like, I don't understand where you're traumatized from. And they were like, she said something like, well, for you, it was another effing Wednesday, but yeah. for me, it was, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. I do. And then it's like, like I've had experience where like, um, I don't even know if I want to put this on here, but I'll just, I would just say it just to, to I don't know if I want to share this because I'm really having a hard time, like being vulnerable and open about things I've gone through because of the fact that I've been called. Oh, you're just trying to be a victim. Oh, you're just this or you're just that. But it's really not that. I'm really still going through a healing process. So when I was in high school, my dad was using hardcore drugs. And he did a lot of, like, bad stuff. And I forgive him for it. He's clean now. Whatever, whatever. But when I go to talk to him or, like, just want a relationship with him and I try to explain to him, like, I don't have nothing but the past because you don't give me a future and you don't give me a present with you. And he just, like throws it up in my face like oh you're trying to be um a victim you don't really forgive me and this and that and it's just like 
you can't just traumatize people for so, for mo- the majority of their life and then just think tomorrow I should just be okay. In the light of sharing things we don't know we want to share. Uh, my biological mom was not around when I was little. I said that earlier. But, like, to the point that I can remember her being gone for, like, six months, then eight months, then a year, then two years. And it was, like big, large gaps in between everything. And whenever I turned 18, she became a active person in my life. And I desperately wanted that relationship with her. I was so desperate for it because i had had these abandonment issues for so long and just like had yearned for my mom, even though I had a fantastic stepmom who loved me and took care of me. I just could not possibly appreciate her at that stage of my life. Um, I was just so desperate to have my mom. And whenever we grew close, um, it was like nothing happened. It was like those years didn't exist. And for a long time, I played along and I pretended like they didn't happen either because I was just so happy to have her that I didn't want her to leave. And then as I got older I just started to just grow this resentment of like, are we never going to talk about it? And then there would be instances where she would bring up memories of things that I had no idea what she was talking about. And it would be like, I don't know that that ever happened. So then it was almost like publicly, it was this painted picture of perfection because of what we had then, rather than acknowledging just how bad it was for me as a kid. Because even though I was clothed and I had food and I was loved and I was taken care of, I was broken inside. I would sit up at night and Google my mother's name and call random voicemail boxes and leave voicemails as a seven-year-old little girl. Hi, I don't know if you're my mom or not, but your name is in the yellow pages and it's the same as my mom's. I just want you to call me if you can. I can't imagine as an adult, as a 30-year-old woman, if I'd come home from work to those old-timey, you know, voicemail boxes that sit on the kitchen counter that say, like, six messages, and you click it and you hear the sound of a little girl's voice begging for her mother to come home. I can't imagine what those people must have felt like or, or how that must have been or if any of them ever called back. I don't know if any of them ever called back and spoke to my actual parents and said, you know, she's going through this and this is horrible for her because I would, I mean, I would spend hours trying to find her, trying to know anything about her. It's actually what made me fall in love with content creation because, um, I felt alone, but I would sit, my mom was a, um, professional makeup artist and I would sit and watch Jaclyn Hill for hours. I'm talking old school Jaclyn in the closet with the candles, not like, not like even the good production Jaclyn. We're talking like 2012 Jaclyn. Okay. Like first videos. And I would sit and just watch her do her makeup and try to do my makeup the exact same way so that my mom would think that my makeup was fantastic so that we would have something to relate to whenever I would get to see her because I just was so desperate for that acceptance that I, I would have done anything, anything. And now it's like, she pretends that it didn't happen or she doesn't want me to tell my side of the story. She doesn't want me to talk about that. And it becomes a, 
I've been in your life for 10 years now. What am I going to have to do to make you forgive me for that? And it's not that I haven't forgiven her. Of course I have. I forgave her before she ever came back. She's my mom. I was desperate for her. I would have forgiven her. It's not that. It's that she pretends that that didn't happen. You have to acknowledge that. Right. And it's so crazy that you're saying this because I'm over here like about to start bawling, crying because my mom did the same thing for so long. She didn't want to accept that she did wrong and the situations we've been in were wrong and things she's done is wrong for so long that when she visited me a couple months ago or like a month ago, she finally... And it's, and we've had, like, we've grown this great relationship now and everything's been good. There's still, like, this one part of me that's just, like, you said, just something's not right. And she finally just, just we were talking, she finally just said, and it, it's it's just all she needed to say all along. And it, and it was, she said, I, I really wish I did things different when you were younger. And that's all it took. That's yeah. all I need. Just for you to finally acknowledge the fact acknowledge that. It. Shit was messed up. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mother always reflects to it being my dad's fault or my stepmom's fault somehow. Everyone else's fault. Just buckle up those pants and wear them because you wore them for 16 years. Like from, I was two whenever she left me at my dad's house. And then I was 18 whenever she became a full person in my life again. She left for sure. The last time that I saw her, like whenever she did the couple months breaks here and there, it was my seventh birthday. I was a seven-year-old little girl and she got me all dressed up for glamour shots. And we got a great American cookie from the mall. And my two older sisters that she also did not raise were with her. They were raised together because they had the same dad. So they lived with their grandmother. So I rarely got to see them as a little girl. So it was like the best day ever. I had my mom. I had my sisters. As a little girl, it was everything that I could ever have wanted. And she told me she would pick me up for my every other weekend visit. And she just didn't come back until I was 17. I didn't hear from her again so it was I mean that to to just pretend that that didn't ever happen is impossible it's impossible it shaped me as a woman it shaped me as a person it shaped me as a mother as a friend as as a daughter Uh, and it just to pretend that it never happened and to try to silence myself because of how embarrassing it is to hear like just say that that you did it. Just say, yeah, I did it. And I'm so sorry. But you have every right to tell your story and to tell other little girls out there that it's going to be okay. Because that's what I needed. I needed somebody out there that I could have watched as a child that had gone through something similar to me and said, it's okay. And showed me that I could, I could be everything that I have today. Because I didn't know that any of this was ever going to be possible. I was just determined to to do everything that my parents thought that I couldn't. <sighs> deep. We're getting deep in here. There's 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 tears flowing. <laughs> well, let me just say that I'm so sorry. They they just try to silence you. So like. People just want you to be quiet and act like it never happened. And it's not fair because it's still happening in my life. Like I still have to heal from this. I still have to work through this. Now it's projecting onto my kids. And anytime I snap or think like, oh my God, I sound like my mother. or Oh my God, like, can I take a drink? Am I going to be addicted to it? 
but and it's just like no no because you're that's not you but it's just like things that now I have to deal with because of you and you're out here living your best life and here I am <laughs> trying to heal like I'm telling you I'm telling you sucks <laughs> People don't like to take accountability for their actions anyways. So then whenever you actually tell your side and multiple people want them to be accountable for their actions, it gets sticky. So. All right. So yes, with your parents, it is like, that's a whole other level. Cause then the whole town's going to talk about how Susie was bad to Sarah. Just, that was going on in their house. Like, yeah. Yeah. You never know what happens behind closed doors. That's what they say. Yeah. Well, especially when you're just, from a small town. Yes. Yes. Small, small town for sure. Then they go to your grandma and her trip. She's going to since she was like, are you kidding me? Yes. Yes. And like the number one myth and as a child is like growing up and realizing your parents don't have it all figured out. They have no idea what to do either. We're all literally just trying to survive. They don't know everything. I think the funniest thing I believe growing up was that oh my parents had unlimited money. Like bank accounts for adults had unlimited money. Yes. Yes. I, I'd be like, well, what do you mean you can't get me a Happy Meal? Yeah. She doesn't even like me. <laughs> like, why did you have me if you weren't going to get me a Happy Meal? <laughs> I also believe that parents could read their kids' minds. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I used to drive myself crazy, like, about my thoughts. Because I'm like, they're going to know. They're going to know. <laughs> Someone probably told you that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> So, Paige, what are some of your, like, goals right now? Like, what are some goals you have? Oh, gosh. I mean, I feel like... The side of things. Right? I'm currently writing a book. Um, So, I really would... That's, like, my main goal is to finish that. I'm writing a book about... uh, Well, it was supposed to be from years 18 to 26. But I am about two-thirds of the way done with the book and I'm still 18 so it looks like it's going to be a series (laughs) instead of just one Uh, but it's basically going to highlight because a lot of people see me now and see what I have now and think her life is so perfect she has everything and it's not and it never was and they also think that I was just handed everything that I was just like I guess like a like a what a trust fund baby. I was going to say a go fund me baby, but that's not the same thing. A trust fund baby is what they think I am, I guess. Um, and that could not be further than true. I moved out whenever I was 18 years old and never looked back. I never had a single bit of help from my parents. My dad and I, um, had a fairly difficult relationship whenever I was a teenager and he was the, I was going to prove myself to him if it was the last thing that I did. So there was no way I was ever asking him for help. Even if he had offered it, I wasn't going to take it because my pride told me that he told me I couldn't do it. So I was never going to get his help. I was going to do it alone to the point that I would, I mean, I joined the army whenever I was 18 years old and uh, I got injured and was medically discharged. So then I was like, well, now what do I do? I didn't have a car. I was living in Houston and I would drive, I would not drive. I'm sorry. I would take the bus to, um, the Metro bus. If you don't know what that is, if you are from Houston and you know what that is, you understand why this is scary to me. Um, because I was a very petite girl at that time and had no idea how dangerous those buses could be. So 
I, you know, was just riding the bus. I would ride the bus an hour to, into downtown Houston to go to work. And I'd have to get up at 4.30 in the morning to make the bus, to get down into work. And then I would take the bus back home. I wouldn't get home till 7 p.m. because it was, you know, you had to stop for multiple buses. And then, God forbid, you, you missed one. Then you had to wait, you know, 10 minutes for the next one. But I was so determined to save all of my money and do everything that I could for myself. I bought myself my own car. I got myself my first rental house. I paid for myself to go to college, worked my butt off through college, and then met Mark. And so that was crazy. And now I live this fantastic life and, you know, we're super happy. But it was so full of so much trauma and struggle beforehand. And I just want to show people that there is another side of the struggle. There really can be. And don't get me wrong. People are going to be like, oh, she married a dentist. Yeah. My husband literally did the exact same thing in a very different perspective. His family did not have the money to be able to help him financially. Uh, Both of his parents were teachers. So he had to do everything on his own. He lived on people's floors in Hollywood for a period of time because uh, he wanted to be an actor. And yes, old Mark wanted to be an actor. <laughs> and so he would live on people's couches and on their floors and, you know, work and pay them rent just to live in those spaces and then put paid for himself to go to, to dental school whenever acting didn't work out. And we are still paying for that dental school to be a hundred percent clear. And And so it's like, this is what happens when two people work their butts off and have nothing, but they just have a lot of drive and a lot of determination to make a better life for themselves and for their kids. And so now that's, that's why we have everything that we have now, but it was definitely never handed to us. I don't have anything, um, grand or lavish to share or show for people, but I do get to go on a vacation every once in a while. That's, it's very nice. We have a beautiful home that is furnished. Our kids eat well. They go to schools that help to cater towards the education that they need and we're happy. And that's really all that matters. I think a lot of people see success that happens for people and they don't think about what it took to get there. Yeah, they really don't because it took years. I mean, yes. went through or had to go through. People just don't know. They just they just see like, oh, she's. But like, we all start somewhere. <laughs> I think people will be amazed at the positions and the situations I put myself into as a younger adult, um, and just like what I had to do to survive. Because it's not all beautiful. It's not all pretty, and it's not all something that I'm proud of. But. I think- I think we need a movie. It's going to be the book, and then the movie's going to come out. <laughs> Somebody said, this needs to be a Netflix series. And I was like, I've been trying to call Netflix so I could get on Bridgerton for months. So oh. somebody let me know. I'm trying to be the next Lady Whistledown or somebody, whatever. I'll be I'll be a backup actress. I will literally stand in the back and sip tea if you want me to. I don't need to be the diamond. But I need to, you know, I just want to pretend like I have a British accent for 30 seconds. That's all. <laughs> then my whole life, that and I really, really want to, this is, this is 
funny, but I really want to start a YouTube that is just the niche of being invited to these fancy events, like these Hollywood big events, just to show y'all what the food looks like. Because that's all I genuinely want to see. I mean, don't get me wrong, the celebrities would be nice to me. I'm sure that it would be fun. I don't really take a good picture and I probably wouldn't on the red carpet. Um, I'm pretty picky about my pictures, so I don't know that I would feel well with the paparazzi choosing for me. Um, but I do, however, want to stand in the back and see what the food looks like. Like, what is it? Is it just fruit? Do we get chips? Is it all natural? Is it organic? I seen a picture. I was cracking up because I seen a picture. I guess it was from the Met, but it was a celebrity standing in line to get their food. And like Kylie Jenner was in the line, but she looked so upset that she had to be standing in the line with her plate. And I just thought it this was the funniest. That's amazing to me. See, like, I want to show you guys celebrities all standing in line just just waiting to get their chicken and green beans because I bet that's what it is. I bet it's wedding food. We're so mad they didn't get served their food. Yeah, like the wine. I promised you guys, no matter how big, no matter what I do in this lifetime, I'll stand in line and get food. 100% of the time. I don't expect anybody to bring anything to me. the difference between people like us who come from nothing and make something or we're trying to make something of ourselves versus the people who you know who are literally handed it <laughs> yeah <laughs> spoon fed yeah that's it was not me it was not me don't get me wrong do i want all those things yes of course who doesn't of course i want to i want to be in a movie just just to say that i did it i also kind of want to be president just so i can know what's in area 51 you know that doesn't mean i'll do it <laughs> but i have a lot of dreams <laughs> That's funny. But I see a lot of people, they, they like, they make it like so, um, what do you call it? Oh, deja vu. Oh my God. What is it called? Like, what are you referring to? Like when you don't want to talk about something. When they gatekeep it? Not gatekeep, but like, it's like, a, um, I don't know if it's like, oh Top my God. Top secret. <laughs> I can't think of it. Oh my gosh. But like, they don't want to say like, yes, I want nice things in my life. Like they don't want to say that or yes, I want to make money. Like they think like, oh no, not me. Like, oh, don't get me wrong. I am not the girl that's going to be like, buy this, get this, gotta do this right now. I don't, that's not in me. It's just not, I don't like, I don't like that type of approach anyways, but I want to make money. Yeah, I have, I have to make money to survive. Right. So, I mean, if I want to eat, I'm going to need to make money. <laughs> and I, I do like to eat. So me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, I am I trying to be a billionaire or even a millionaire? No, I would like to live comfortably and provide well for my kids and do a lot of fun stuff. That's what I want to do with this life. I'm not going to take money with me, but I will take every single one of those experiences and I will get to enjoy the countries and all the countries in the world. I want to go everywhere and try all their food and see everything and know everything and just be a plethora of information um, like what the world is actually like. Because that to me, that's what I feel like makes you richest is experience especially if you do those experiences with the people that you love. I could never be richer in life than to be able to spend time with my kids and travel the world. That's genuinely what I want more than anything is to be able to 
just travel everywhere. Honestly, my main goal is to be able to go with Boston and homeschool him and be able to teach him about the Holocaust in Auschwitz, be able to teach him about different wars, where they happened, and show him and make it more about history than it is about generalized te like tests. Like that's, that's the dream. We could homeschool and travel. The magic school bus where they went on the bus and they actually went to different places. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That is, that's the ultimate goal is to be my very own Mrs. Frizzle. Yeah. Although I do feel like I'm more Mrs. Honey from Matilda than I am. So. I can see that. Yeah. I, I've literally always wanted to be her my whole entire life to the point that like down to, I want a cottage in the middle of nowhere that's covered in greenery so I can sit and have tea and cookies. That's, that's the life. I think we all want the same life. <laughs> <laughs> Just some peace and quiet, maybe. So what does a typical like day in the life look for you? It really depends on the day. If you want me to be totally honest with you, it depends on the day. Because Boston only goes to school part-time, so it's not like we have an everyday routine. Like, say, if he were home with me, we would typically wake up. We're kind of slow wakers. I'm not really a morning person, but I'll get up and have coffee and make him breakfast, and we'll just sit together for a little bit. Uh, he is really big into coloring right now, so usually we will color. Or he has this little bike. It's called a smart trike. It has no pedals or anything. It's just the bike part, and he has to, like, pedal it. That kid goes so fast on that thing. It's crazy, but he loves it. So we'll go down to the park and he'll bike or we, we're really lucky to live very close to a park. So we, we pretty much go every day because he is an outdoor baby and he kind of controls the day. If you want to be totally honest with you, what Boston wants is what happens. Uh, if I go grocery shopping, that's typically something that I will um, video because people really like to see me go grocery shopping. So I try to plan content in that sense, but I am not the creator that like plans out content and has a bunch of drafts and like knows what they're going to do that week. I, <laughs> I do not have it all together. I'm like, Oh, I got to go to the grocery store. I guess I'll video that. Or, mm, you know what? I'm not feeling very confident today. I'm going to do a dance and I'm going to get out of this mood. And I'm going to tell everybody else that just to get out of their mood too. It's very like, just kind of like spur of the moment. This is what I'm actually doing. <laughs> I'm not a good <laughs> I'm not a very good planner whenever it comes to that. But, um, I mean, the day is filled with being a mom and being a content creator, which can be hard to juggle both. Like, especially if people are, a lot of people ask me for mental health advice or come to me because they're struggling. And I really try to be there for as many people as I can be there for. But I also have three children and a husband and we've just opened a dental practice. And so he's stressed out all the time too. And I'm trying to keep myself afloat as well during all of this. So I try to make time to meditate. I have to cook dinner. I have to clean up. I have all these chores. I have all these things to do, but really like everyday things that I would want to do. I spend a lot of time with my kids. <laughs> I spend a lot of time in the kitchen because I like being in the kitchen, cooking and making things for people is my love language. That's how I show you that I like you is if I make you something and it's usually something to eat because that to me is better than any gift <laughs> is like food because food is the ultimate joy for me. Um, and 
I guess just making sure that I meditate. I do like to journal or read a book. I'm kind of a bookworm. A lot of people don't know that, but I really love to read like a sci-fi book or like vampire book disappeared to my alternate universe where I can be sparkly and invincible. (laughs) That, I mean, it's, it's an everyday life of what a normal mom would look like. I don't do anything different or fancy that is like, I'm not jumping on a private jet and going to Bali and doing exciting things. That's just not, I don't live that life. (laughs) I am um, changing diapers and cleaning applesauce off the floor 90% of the time and rewatching sing to for about the fourth time in a day. And we're happy. And that's really all that matters. I love that. Yeah. People definitely see that. I feel like I get that from you. It feels like you're like your friend or you're just like us. And yeah, I have piles of laundry. I have so much laundry. I have laundry right here. (laughs) You mean to tell me your maid is not doing your laundry? No, I can't afford one prior to contrary belief. I cannot. I do not. I'm not made of money. And if I want to stay home, I have to cut costs in corners. So I do have a beautiful housekeeper that comes once a month to help me clean toilets that I've neglected, aka my teenager's one upstairs because it is horrendous. Um, But otherwise, it's all me, baby. This is the only one. And. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working my butt off and trying to stay afloat. Don't get a two-story house. If I if you leave this with anything, with any advice, don't get a two-story house. It's beautiful. It makes you feel like you have some social status that other people don't have. It's it's all a crock of shit. None of it's real. None of it's real. It's so expensive. Everything leaks from the second floor. Everything. And <laughs> think about vacuuming stairs. Do you think that's pleasure? Like, that's not a pleasant experience. Nobody just volunteers to vacuum the stairs. And then as well as you have to come up here all the time, you get done cleaning the house. (laughs) Just kidding. There's a second one upstairs. (laughs) No, it's not worth it. Stick to the one story. Make it smaller rooms. Don't get a pool either. Oh my God. Money pit. The worst mistake of my life is thinking that we could afford a pool. Do you know how much chlorine is a month? I'm sorry. I had to cancel all my subscriptions so we could have a pool. No, it's not worth it. I will go to the Waterloo at the street twice a month whenever or twice a summer whenever I get that random hair that I want to swim. It's no. And as well as it makes it so scary for your kids. I know that it seems fun to have the big house and all the fancy bells and whistles, but Biggie was not lying whenever he said more money, more problems. Okay. One thing that you would want your followers audience to take away from your platform. Like one thing, if you had to choose, what would that be? Um, when you look at page, what do you want them to feel like? like Just be yourself. The only thing that you can control in life is your reaction. You can't control the situations that you're put through or the things that you have to face. You can quite literally only control how you handle it. So remember that that is your ultimate power is having the ability to control it. And, um, I guess, Never be afraid to to be a friend for somebody. 
because you really just don't know who doesn't have somebody. Don't be so afraid for the people who want to upload content and they're afraid to start or they don't know where to start, but they want to be there for people because they feel like they have this calling. Just do it. Just start because you genuinely, if it gets one view, you could save one life. And that to me is immeasurable whenever it comes, whenever it comes down to it, because it's like, the views ultimately don't matter to me. It's about my community and about the people that I am giving a safe place to express themselves. Just be who you are. Love who you are. Love your life. If you don't love your life, change it. Do something because you literally only live one time. And it's so not worth it to spend all your years miserable for people to try to fit in a box that somebody's told you you're supposed to be in. I just told her that yesterday. <laughs> I just told her that the other day. So that's how I'm like, yep. listen to her. <laughs> no, and it's not. It can't be. Everybody's problems can't be your problem, but you can still be a positive beacon for other people just by being yourself, I think. Okay, but hold yourself accountable for those moments. Don't be so blind that you can't know that you're also flawed. Because I'll tell you, I have flaws. I know that I do, though. And I will own up to it if I make a mistake. Because I'm human. I'm always going to be human. Even now, as a content creator, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make people upset. There will be a time where I offend somebody, and it will never be my intention to hurt anyone. But I still very well could be faced with that at some point. And it's all about how I react and how I listen and, and hold myself accountable because if I'm just going to be a, a knucklehead and say, no, I'm right and you're wrong. And I don't care how you feel. I'm never going to learn. I'm never going to grow. And that's not my ultimate goal as a person, let alone as a content creator, because my content is who I am. So if I'm not growing, I'm just same old, I'm just going to be the same person. And then frankly, I like who I am, but I like who I am because I have this craving for more. I relate to that. <laughs> I don't want to be just the person that just knows what she knows. Yeah. I want to know everything, every perspective. So great that you're like that because so many people are not. They're just stuck in their little bubble people that are like-minded and that just want to be kind. I don't feel like it's my place to judge anybody. And I know I've been through some really terrible times in my life. And I can't imagine if someone looked in and saw who I was in my worst moments and judged me for the rest of my life for it. Ooh. <laughs> Everybody feel like we've just went to therapy. <laughs> I feel like we did too. Like this was amazing, and I hope that at least uh, I hope at least one person got something from this. And I know a lot of people will get something from this. But like you said, as long as that one person, like whoever this was for, you can have it. Yeah, I hope you heard it. Yeah. Uh, just hope that whoever it is, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're facing, you know that. You can handle this. 
you were quite literally made to face whatever you're facing and you have got this. Even if you feel like you don't have anybody on your side, I promise you, you do. And you can always sit with us. <laughs> always. always. I figured I would wear pink in, um, in honor. <laughs> I wore black. She wore dark color. She wore pink. <laughs> it's my thing. A pink is kind of my color, though. It's kind of my signature thing. I didn't realize it, but like all my favorite pictures, I'm wearing pink. Thank you guys for joining. Um, I think that this was one of our best episodes yet. We're so grateful for Paige, you coming on here and talking to us in our audience. And hopefully anybody gets uh, a good message from uh, what we talked about today. Um, next week, not even next week. We have another episode coming out with another guest next week. And I guess we'll see you guys there. Bye.